Well, hi. Welcome to Totally Fantastic Title. I'm Krista Wallace. In recent days, I've been thinking a lot about my life, um, the way I live, and how it compares to the lives and life experiences of others. Um, Evaluating this helps keep my eyes and my mind open. I reflect on the way I want to be treated, and therefore the way I choose to think about and treat others. These are the things that have been on my mind lately. And now hearty congratulations to my friend Kate Glass, whose book, Illusion of Thieves, just last weekend won the Colorado Book Award for 2019 in the fantasy and science fiction category. Kate, also known as Carol Berg, has been a finalist for this award several times and has won it three times for her books, uh, Song of the Beast, which happens to be the first book of hers I ever read, for Breath and Bone, and for The Soul Mirror. This win is especially exciting for me because in pre-COVID days, uh, I often join Carol slash Kate at a writing retreat. Shay, a good mutual friend, Brenda, who has an amazing view, and it's a very inspirational place to write. And Brenda and I had the pleasure of listening to Carol read aloud from Illusion of Thieves prior to its publication, uh, as well as its sequel, A Conjuring of Assassins. And we actually did a lot of brainstorming of titles, too, and talking through ideas for magic and stuff like that. Um, So huge congratulations to Carol slash Kate. And do check out her books. She has at least 17 fantasy novels out there. And though I haven't read them all, I really love the ones I have. And now, on we go with Chapter 5. Gatekeeper's Key by Krista Wallace. Chapter 5. A New Friend or Two. Kier's first encounter with Valraker, exiled Duke of Eckert, complete surprise as it was, had not allowed her time to prepare. Given the chance to create and present an excellent first impression, she would certainly have come up with a plan that did not involve making an idiot of herself. As they approached the capital city of Shale, she realized that the preparation time had its disadvantages. The trouble was, whereas Valraker had been amused by Kier's ill-advised insult, Kian Barthelon was notoriously impatient and unforgiving. Had he been on the bar stool next to her in Wanaka, he would likely have just as soon sliced her head off. Preparation seemed the wise choice in this case. But in spite of several days of travel to plan the first impression she wanted to present to the Duke of her own home duchy, she felt less and less confident as the moment drew closer. Derry's advice was to tread carefully. Lord Kean has a deep appreciation for formality. He prefers to begin a relationship from a position of clear boundaries and clear delineation of status. Once he knows, and therefore you know, where you stand with each other, both can relax and proceed. Kier swallowed and cleared her throat to ease the sudden tightness in her jaw. In an effort to sound intrepid, she said, He sounds arrogant. Derry frowned reproachfully. He may be, but is it truly arrogance if he, in fact, is the greatest man on the continent? 
Kier let the conversation end there and fought down her hackles. Obsequiousness might come naturally to Derry, but to Kier it would be as artificial as wearing a dress and playing a lute. Perhaps she could manage a simple, pleased to meet you. Shale Castle was enormous, its russet-colored structure an ominous presence looming over the city walls. The highest tower shot skyward like the arm of a triumphant warrior returning from battle. Two flags flew from the tower, easily recognizable with the wind pinning them stiffly to the east. The lower was the banner of the Duchy of Shea, and above it the flag of Key and Barthelon, signifying that the Duke himself was in residence at the castle. Lord Barthelon was thrice a duke, of Shea, of Coral, and of Heath, where Kier had lived all her life, and she would meet him this very day. Her stomach fluttered like the flags. Just bow and keep your mouth shut, she decided. A light jab on her arm startled her, and she looked over and up at Derry, who sat erect on his warhorse, eyes straight ahead with his usual sober expression, and sheathing his sword. What did you do that for? Her face broke into a smile. I don't know what you're talking about, was the deadpan reply, though he threw her a sidelong glance from a gleaming eye. Kier would never have thought it possible that the ever-serious Derry Morant would shed his grim exterior long enough to tease someone. His half-smile disappeared in short order. They rode abreast at the rear of the party, otherwise she was certain he would not have done it. You are in awe. His voice was deliberately low, so Janik and Duskellen, a few paces ahead, could not hear. Can it be that we have found something to subdue the dauntless Kier? She smirked, staring before her at the avenue and the approaching gates. I'm amazed at the size of this place. As capital cities go, it is second in size to your Heatha, but it is a wondrous sight nonetheless. After a beat, he added, Eckert City was once like this. She looked up at him expectantly, but he was frowning. His eyes looked not at what lay ahead, but at the past. An insight struck her in that moment. It was the face of a man who desperately wanted a second chance. Valraker had named Derry captain of the guard only a short time before Lord Dregor's final attack on Eckert City. Under the guidance of the previous captain, the city had managed to withstand two quick assaults by the enemy, though the captain himself had fallen. Under Derry's command, the city was finally taken. He must feel that much of the blame for Eckert City's ravagement by Dregor had to lie with him. All this had happened three years prior, when Derry was her own age. There was no way she felt wise and experienced enough to be in a position of such responsibility. No wonder he can't relax. She wanted to remind him that Valraker had not stripped him of his position after the fall of Eckert. Clearly the Duke did not lay the blame with him. The way Brendau told it, Valraker would never have escaped the siege of Eckert City without his captain's initiative. She wanted to assure Derry that he would always be worthy of everyone's respect, and that he shouldn't reproach himself. But she could say nothing, for they had reached the city gates. The two-story iron gate itself was open, but the towers were flanked by a squad of well-armed sentries in dress uniforms. "'Why the formality? Doesn't Valraker come here all the time?' Kier asked. Derry nodded. "'I'm not sure. They don't usually use the honor guard. It's been a while since we've been here, though.' Maybe it's just a good excuse for some pomp and ceremony. The soldiers stood at attention, though their halberds were not at the ready. The party was stopped, and the captain of the guard removed his scarlet-winged helm to hail the Duke of Eckert. Lord Valraker, welcome, 
he called in an authoritative voice. When my men told me it was you approaching, I came to greet you myself. Derry emitted a sound, and Kier glanced at him sharply. It was the closest he'd ever come to open disdain. The captain is Sir Frederick Hayland. Derry spoke politely, but there was a forced quality to it. He has been captain for seven or eight years and was knighted three years ago. If it had been anyone but Derry speaking, Kier would have called it sarcasm. Beneath his pride, was Derry jealous? "'And Fennel, Jaskellin, all of you, it is a pleasure to see you again,' Sir Frederick continued, adjusting his helm under his arm. "'Governor Linden and my lord the Duke would like you to join them at the castle. I have brought the honor guard to escort you through the city.' He gestured to the dozen scarlet-clad men behind him. Valraker assured him it was not necessary, but thanked him for his thoughtfulness. Derry whispered something that sounded like bootlicker, but Kier couldn't be sure. She looked at him quizzically, but he kept his eyes on his lord. The red-headed captain glanced her way. "'There is one member of your party with whom I am unfamiliar, and as you know, it is my duty to be informed of all names of my lord's guests.' "'Suffice it to say that she is my newest companion,' Valraker returned with the inherent authority that only another duke could assume in the capital city of his best friend's duchy. "'She has been with us only a week, and it would not do at all for me to introduce her to you before she meets with Kian, so you will just have to content yourself with being introduced later.' Sir Frederick bowed with an acquiescent smile. "'If it were anyone but yourself, my lord, I would not be content with such an answer.' He aimed his smile at Kier. I look forward to that moment with eagerness. Now let us proceed. Preparations are even now under way for a banquet in honor of your arrival, and I do not wish to delay anyone's enjoyment of it. The soldiers parted to allow the guests to ride through their ranks. As Kier rode forward, cloak back behind her shoulders, she was aware of several sets of eyes on her. Sir Frederick gave a short bow to Derry, who nodded stiffly in response, breaking eye contact as soon as his code of decorum would allow. Kier scanned Derry's face for an explanation and found none. She was puzzled and mildly irritated, but not consumed enough to miss the extra attention the other captain was paying her. She met Sir Frederick's gaze and held it, approving of the bright, playful eyes that sparkled at her. He wore a neatly trimmed beard and had fringes of grey in his short red hair. She judged him to be in his mid to late thirties. Very nice. She gave him a short nod and carried on past him. She, too, looked forward to the introduction. Derry frowned. Kier gave him a cheeky smile. Does Captain Derry disapprove, or is he jealous? Derry flinched, and an opaque curtain fell across his face. Once inside the gates, some shuffling allowed for the honor guard escort. Derry made no comment as he nudged Donegill to position himself up ahead with his lord. Damn it, she'd just taken a step backwards in her progress with him. Her humor didn't recover at the appearance of Janik, adjusting to ride alongside her. Half the honor guard remained at the front with their captain, and the others closed in behind Janik and Kier to bring up the rear. With Sir Frederick upon his black-as-night charger at the head of the procession next to the Barthelon standard-bearer, the guards in dress uniforms of scarlet and gold, shining swords at their sides, they made an impressive parade up the main street of Shale. The roads crawled with people who stopped and gazed at the cavalcade as it passed. Kier, unused to such pageantry, straightened her back, doubtful that she fit in with the others to appear worthy of such a welcome. 
With a glance at Janik, Kier noted a release of stiffness in the dwarf's rigid form. It was as if being suddenly surrounded by immense walls of granite had made him feel more free. His grunt in her direction, although still forcibly unfriendly, could not be described as abusive. Whatever. Craning her neck to observe the castle, Kier saw at once the trick that had been played on her. The one and only hill could not be seen outside the city, hidden behind the massive walls. Shale Castle sat atop this hill, with the result that from the outside the castle appeared twice as large as its true size. It was built up against the easternmost wall of the city, and towered over the expanse of buildings like a god surveying his people, its great russet spire stretching up proudly. The late afternoon sun drew out the reddish tones from the stone, giving the immense structure a deep orange glow. The rumble of carts and buggies on the cobblestone road vibrated in her chest. The clamor of horses' clopping hooves assailed her ears, while the general hubbub of a large population made her head swing like a saloon door. The thick mixture of smells that wafted in waves was occasionally rank enough to bring tears to her eyes. Smoke from fuels and cooking and manure swapped by turns with cherry and plum blossoms from the trees that lined many of the side streets. One road led to a bridge over the river, and Kier had a desire to explore it, to find out what sort of dwelling had the ill luck to be perpetually shadowed by the south wall. She stood a bit in her stirrups to see, but her attention was called back by the shrieks of children, whose play area the riders invaded on the edge of the city square. The children dodged the grasp of a blindfolded boy, who tripped on a cobblestone and was sent sprawling. He cried out, but whipped off the blindfold, only to find himself staring right up into Jeskelin's round black face. The child was abruptly quelled, and he and all his friends stared in awe as the party passed. Then they broke into excited whispers. Shale College opened onto the far side of the square, and a few dark-robed students sat or lay in rumpled groups, taking advantage of the warmth to study or converse outdoors. Kier's mouth watered to read the words carved into the building next to the college, Shale Library. Brendau had told her of its existence. The only one of its kind in all of Rydris, the library was yet another reason the capital was such a popular destination. Finally, beyond the square, the horses ascended the switchbacking path up to the castle. Captain Hayland announced them at the castle's outer gatehouse, and they were permitted to move through under watchful eyes. Riding by the heavy oak doors into the narrow corridor, Kier felt like an easy target and wanted to shrink out of sight of the watchers. Inquisitive faces peered at them through the murder holes in the stone ceiling and the arrow loops every few feet on both sides. It was with relief that she emerged from the tiny passage and found herself in the outer ward. Kier observed the clever defensive design of the castle. The inner gatehouse was not directly in line with the outer one, forcing an enemy to cross the bailey diagonally and be open to attack from all sides as well as above. In the incredible event that foes should survive the passage of the first gate, it was still less likely they would live through to the second. The procession came to a standstill at the entrance to the inner gatehouse. The guards at the head went into formation, dividing themselves on either side of Valraker's company like a sort of passageway of riders. The formal display thrilled her, and she tried to keep back a grin of excitement. Even Janik wore an expression of appreciation, until he caught Kier's eye, at which point he turned away, a determined frown on his brow. She was too enthralled to care. A young woman stood at the inner gatehouse, flanked by two guards. She looked to be about Kier's age. Sir Frederick Halen dismounted and spoke quietly to her. The woman nodded, and Kier detected an air of impatience in the movement. Sir Frederick moved aside, and she stepped forward. 
She wore a simple long-sleeved gown of a deep rust color. It complemented her blonde hair, which was held back from her face by two combs and hung down her back to just below her shoulder blades. On her feet were leather boots with a low heel, and the gold chain about her waist held a ring of keys. Her face was narrow, with an elegantly straight nose and cheeks that were tinged with just enough color so her fair skin did not look pale. She reminded Kier of Hreth's Sheska Bolin, only this woman did not share Sheska's nastiness, arrogance, and superiority. The woman spoke in a clear, confident voice. "'Welcome, Lord Dunvarin,' she said with a bow, "'and all of you. For those of you with whom I am not acquainted, I am Acadia Hayland, steward of Shale Castle.' Hayland, Kier noted. Well, isn't she lucky? Kier wondered what Sir Frederick had said to shake her. Her smile was amiable, but her eyes weren't involved, and to Kier it seemed forced, as if she had been shaken by whatever her husband had said. Valraker breathed a deep sigh as he dismounted. He caught her eye, and his smile was peaceful, as if he were finally home. Kier supposed that so long as Dregor occupied Eckert, this probably was the closest the exiled duke had to a home. He grasped Acadia's hand, and this time her eyes joined in her smile. Acadia spoke to the group again. The livery warden will handle all your horses. Your belongings will be taken to your quarters, so just bring along anything you require immediately. A middle-aged man and several younger stable boys stepped forward. Derry passed Donagill's reins to the livery warden. You won't go with them? Kier asked him as she slipped down off Trigg's back. No need to, Derry replied. I trust their skill level without question. Unlike the boys in Paterak, Derry smiled. Not the same level of expertise, no. A stable girl approached Kier. Both of the extra horses are mine, she added, unsure if it mattered or not. The girl smiled and nodded, seemingly pleased that Kier had spoken to her. Thank you, Kier said, handing Trigg over. The reins caught briefly on her sword-hilt, and as she disentangled them, she looked over her shoulder at her comrades. She had assumed they'd be asked to relinquish their weapons on account of entering a duke's castle, but since nobody else appeared to be removing weapon belts, she made no move to do so. "'Derry!' Valraker called. "'Yes?' Derry clapped a lad on the shoulder as the youngster hefted the captain's saddlebags, and he stepped in Valraker's direction. "'I hope you'll be up for a drink while we're here.' Derry chuckled. Is that a euphemism for a game of dice? Can you blame me? I need to win back my fifty silver. Sure, Val, you just keep telling yourself that. Acadia beamed. Please follow me. She headed through the gatehouse, Valraker and the rest of the company following. Sir Frederick gave a warm look to Kier as she brought up the rear. Though his attention was pleasant, she wondered if he shouldn't save it for his wife. She heard the captain dismiss the honor guard as the gatehouse door closed behind her. This was Kier's first visit to a castle. She had expected something more military, more stone and less green. Not a courtyard with a lush lawn divided by a flagstone path, nor well-tended flower beds, nor benches nestled beneath clusters of trees. Stables with barracks above and the blacksmith near the gates, those made sense, but the pleasant myriad of sweet and savory smells that drifted through the air, and the newly sprouting vegetable garden... There were even half a dozen children playing in the corner near the large entrance doors. Acadia waved to them as she climbed the steps to the thick, copper-plated oak doors in which had been etched the Barthelon coat of arms. A pair of doormen, one on either side, pulled the heavy doors open, without so much as a squeak. The steward stood to one side. The guests passed her into the foyer and gathered at the bottom of the wide staircase. Acadia nodded pleasantly to Kier, who had half expected the steward to flinch as she passed. 
Pierre was used to making other women nervous. Acadia was obviously more worldly than Cheska. Pierre glanced back over her shoulder as the doors closed. Instantly, her attention was seized by the wall hanging above the door, and she stopped short. Breathless, and without taking her eyes off it, she took a few steps up the stairs so she could look at it squarely. It was a well-chosen focal point of the foyer. The woman captured in it was the most beautiful Kier had ever seen. Tall and graceful, her deep sea-blue eyes penetrated into Kier's heart like a stiletto. Thick, wavy hair fell about her elven ears and tumbled over her shoulders in an unidentifiable color. Reds, golds, light browns, dark browns, and blacks, too complex to be defined. What genius of a painter had managed to find just the right blend of shades to reproduce it? The woman stood next to her midnight black horse, the sunlight glinting off his glorious coat. Behind them were rolling foothills with mountains in the distance. But what made Kier's heart pound was the way the woman was dressed. She wore not a gown, but a beautifully embroidered leather cuirass in a design much like Kier's own, and the enormous sword on which she casually rested her hand clearly found its home in the sheath that was strapped at her waist. With the muscles that corded in the wrists, Kier did not need convincing that she was capable of using it. There was no doubt about the identity of the woman above the doorway. Without ever seeing Kian's wife, Kier recognized the Lady Alon Mare. Despite all the stories of Kian's shrewd, impatient, and fearsome nature as a ruler, there was one thing that went without question. He was devotedly in love with his wife. Only profound emotion could possibly demand the creation of such a likeness as this. The young swordfighter looked down at her own arms. She grasped her right forearm with her left hand and slowly flexed the muscles in her wrist, admiring the strength she had taken years to build. A thrill shivered through her at having this one thing in common with the woman in the portrait. All doubt fled. It had been worth it. Every slur, every sneer, every backhanded comment and glance from Sheska Bolin and her ilk, every malicious assertion about her parentage, her desires, her pastimes, terms such as freak, often used right to her face to say nothing of bitch and whore, had been bilious memories. At this moment, even they melted away like so much candle wax. The portrait of the Lady Alon Mare etched itself into her mind and obliterated the effect those people had had on her despite her attempts to convince herself she didn't care. The bitterness dissolved with a shudder and a choke of emotion that she quickly repressed. The wife of Lord Kean Barthelon was a sword fighter. Kier Halladin could follow her footsteps with pride. Kier! It was Fennel, yanking her back to the foyer with a low voice. She dragged her gaze away from the lady and saw that the others had carried on through to the rear of the foyer. Reluctantly, she descended the steps and hastened to catch up with the elf. He smiled at her and gestured back to Alon Mare. She's really something, isn't she? Still spellbound by the portrait, Kier had no response. Acadia stopped outside a door almost directly underneath the staircase. This is Lord Kean's meeting room, she told Kier, the only one among them who had not been here before. In all her internal reaction to the portrait, Kier had forgotten to be anxious about the imminent introduction. Their hostess opened the door and announced them, then stepped aside to allow them to pass her into the room. She called to a servant to fetch ale. A tiny older woman in a red dress with a white overtunic nodded her capped head and dashed off around the corner. Kier held back while her comrades moved through the informal parlor to greet their hosts. Two men rose from armchairs before the granite-faced fireplace. 
Kier had lived in the Duchy of Heath all her life, but she had never laid eyes on her duke until this moment. She knew him instantly. Whereas Governor Linden was human, stocky, and graying, Kian Barthelon, like his wife, was a high elf, and the reports Kier had heard were justified. He was huge, a full head taller than Valraker and well over 250 pounds. From years of almost constant work as a warrior, he had built up more muscle than most humans possessed, let alone elves who were typically slender. He was reportedly the best swordsman in all of Rydris. Kier had a hard time doubting it, even though rumor had it that Kian himself had begun the circulation of that report. To her knowledge, no one had proven him wrong. A formidable ruler, stories of his unforgiving nature and his lack of patience for foolishness had made their way into the far reaches of the continent. Woe betide the one who tried to take advantage of Kian's occasional generosity. Kier would never dream of trifling with him. Yet she had a feeling the stories were overblown. His joy at seeing his friend again was like sunshine on his face. Not only that, but Acadia's bearing had relaxed slightly, as if the steward did not require the same business-like manner now that she'd entered Kian's meeting-room. Acadia was not overawed by him. His hair was grey, not the grey of old age like that of the governor, but opaque grey, like a thundercloud, like the stone from which the fireplace was built, as if it had been painted that way. His complexion was milky white, with no markings apart from a thin scar that ran straight along his squarish jaw. His pointed ears were more pronounced than Fennel's, perhaps a high elven trait. Kier did not know whether she found him handsome or not, but the energy radiating from his presence was potent. Good thing he's on our side. Kian and Valraker embraced, and Kier was surprised by the display of warmth. Alon didn't come with you? Valraker was plainly disappointed at not seeing the lady. "'No, not this time, but she sends her regards,' Kian replied in a tone that suggested to Kier that he had more to say on this subject, but it was not for all present. The guests waited patiently to be greeted, though Kier hung back a bit as she was the only one who would have to be formally introduced. "'Just bow and keep your mouth shut.' Derry shook the duke's hand with exactly the correct decorum. Janik was not impolite, Kier noted, and figured the duke was somebody that even the dwarf couldn't talk back to. Kian gave Duskellen a warm welcome, but did not make contact. The mage bowed politely. Fennel said hello with his usual amiable grin, and when Kian commented on his distinct lack of offensive odor, the younger elf replied, "'They made me bathe a mere three days ago, lord,' he winked at his companions. "'In your honor, so of course I obliged them.' Kian laughed. <laughs> it was good to hear him laugh. The sound was clear and rich, and the idea struck Kier that he must have a lovely singing voice. The lines of care that had been incised in the duke's forehead over time shallowed somewhat, and Kier let out a breath that she had not been aware of holding. Just then the servant returned with a large tray bearing several chilled flagons of ale as well as a pewter decanter, which turned out to contain elvish wine. The servant passed them around to all the guests. But before the drinks reached her, Valraker drew Kier forward. If he could hear the pounding of her heart, he made no show of it. She sensed an eagerness in his voice as he spoke to Kian. "'This is the only one you haven't yet met. She joined us just a week ago and has already forced us all to keep on our toes.' From your own home duchy, Kian, this is Kier Halliden. 
Amused that the thought should come to her, Kier remembered her schoolteacher's pronouncement years ago that Kier would stand in judgment before Lord Barthelon himself one day. These were hardly the circumstances the woman had in mind. Kier took the hand that was offered and matched its firm but politely measured grip. She tipped her head and upper body in a bow, then looked way up to meet his eyes. His gaze was pleasant and welcoming, but she felt the calculated appraisal behind them. He's going to test me at every possible chance. She returned his gaze just as steadily as he regarded her, and she suspected that Valraker would demand an account of Kean's impressions of her. After a beat, without taking his penetrating eyes off her, Kean spoke. Well, Val, you've finally taken my advice and refined your methods of choosing companions. Hopefully, Kier, you will have some influence over my friend and the rest of the rabble he seems to like having around himself. He smiled as he indicated the others, but he still gripped her hand. Not much can change in only a week, but Fennel did bathe, Kier replied. Formidable or not, it was not in her nature to let him think she was cowed. Where are you from in Heath, Kier? Hrath. So far north, what brought you southeast to join up with this lot? She hesitated, peering into Kian's eyes, her mouth turned up in a crooked smile. My horse, actually. Shocked silence seized the chamber. One of the duke's eyebrows shot upward. He pursed his lips. Oh, shit, too far, she thought. His steel-gray eyes appraised her, unblinking. His lip twitched. Ah, yes, I have one of those also. As if a breeze had wafted through the room, people shifted like rustling leaves. Well met, Kier, he said with a bow. I hope you enjoy your stay in shale. He finally released her hand. And now, which beverage would you prefer? She gestured to the tray. After such a long ride to get into the city, you're making me choose between my two favorite liquids? <laughs> a thousand pardons, good lady! He laughed and handed her both a pint of ale and a glass of wine. Welcome all, Kian said heartily, old friends and new. Kier's mouth watered as she savored the richness of the wine that was so dark it could hardly be described as red, and the ale was equaled by only that at the burnished blade. Derry sat next to Valraker as the two dukes spoke genially of each other's news. The captain said nothing, and though Kier tried to catch his attention, he didn't turn her way. When she was finally successful, it seemed accidental. She gave him a half-grin to share her excitement at being there. His expression didn't change, and he abruptly turned away. Kier's brow creased. He was annoyed with her for some reason known only to him. She felt like an admonished child— her small celebration had been crushed as if it were a fruit fly buzzing around his head. She drained her mug. Adopting his captain-to-lord tone, thereby dismissing her, Derry asked, "'How long will we stay in the city, sir?' "'I'm waiting for scouts to return to tell me the status of the borders,' Valraker said. "'You will have at least three days, perhaps longer. Enjoy yourselves while you can, but be prepared to leave instantly upon their arrival.' Acadia offered to show them to their rooms so they could refresh themselves and dress for dinner. Kier looked at the steward with a flash of panic. Dress? What could she wear that was appropriate for a banquet at Shale Castle? The governor and the two dukes remained seated, but Kier walked next to Acadia, with Derry and the others close behind. "'You've just joined Valraker recently?' Acadia asked. "'A week ago.' Acadia pushed open another wooden door through which they all passed single file, Derry and Fennel ducking their heads." 
He's wonderful, isn't he? Acadia said with a glance down at Kier as they started up a stone circular staircase. Valraker? Oh, yes, he is, Kier agreed, running her hand along the wooden banister that wound around up the smooth walls. Acadia was so dissimilar in character to Kier's old nemesis, Sheska, that Kier already found this new person supplanting the other girl's prominence. Of course, you wouldn't dare say otherwise with his captain only two steps behind, now would you? The steward smiled down at Derry. "'I have no doubt that Kier would be honest even if Val himself were here,' the captain replied. Acadia laughed, but Kier couldn't tell if Derry was joking. "'In any event, I must say I'm glad you've joined him,' Acadia said and lowered her voice conspiratorially. "'Most of the women who visit tend to be a bit stuffy.' Kier smirked. The steward had an overall professionalism but was clearly relieved to have a friendly conversation with another woman her age.' Round and round the stairs curled, carrying them, Kier had no idea how high. The occasional window gave the only clue as the plains below appeared farther and farther down. She'd started out counting doors as they passed them, but lost track of which ones went into corridors and which were tower rooms as Acadia pointed them out. How the steward could possibly remember which was which was beyond Kier. Acadia opened yet another oak door. This is the south wing third floor, Acadia told her, the guest apartments. Kier followed her along the woven grass mat that warmed the stone of the dim corridor. Tapestries and wall hangings between torch brackets dampened the ghostly echo of footfalls and doors closing as one by one her companions disappeared into their rooms. Derry stopped a few paces ahead and turned the handle of his door with the confident air of someone who knows where he belongs in this place. He shut the door without a backward glance. Lord Valraker's suite is this one across from Derry's, Acadia said. Kier turned to look behind her, and Janik brushed past her to head to his room. No one else was left. Bewildered by the length of the corridor, Kier cursed herself for not counting chamber doors. As if in answer to her thoughts, Acadia said, "'Your room is next to Derry's, the third from the far end, this one with Telemann Barthelin opposite.' With a smile, she indicated the wall-hanging of Kian's father beside Valraker's door." Kier exhaled gratefully and liked the steward all the more for recognizing her discomfort and not embarrassing her. Acadia opened the door and stepped aside. I hope this suits you. Kier stepped into her tiny room and felt instantly at home. In the nearest corner on the right was a low bed with wool blankets, an extra one folded at the foot, and here was also the answer to Kier's query about attire. To her surprise, special garments in subdued Barthelin colors lay on the bed. She cast a curious glance over her shoulder. Acadia stood back from the door, a smile twinkling in her eyes. Our tower guards see great distances and use their power for good. Kier grinned. Neat! On the left wall was a tiny fireplace with a coal scuttle and a washstand beside it. Below the little window a pine chest was crammed at the end of the bed. There was barely room to step between bed and chest. Lifting the lid, she saw all her belongings inside— a familiar sound from the window drew Kier's attention, and she stepped up on top of the chest. Through the wavy glass in her third-story window, Kier looked out over the southern battlements to, oh, joy, the practice field. Several groups of soldiers were hard at work jousting, sparring, or firing at archery targets. Kier unlatched the window to luxuriate in the faint rings of steel and thuds of wood against shield that echoed from far below. Do you like it? Kier had forgotten Acadia was there. Tearing herself away from the view, she stepped down. It's perfect! Acadia grinned. 
Yes, you can use the practice field any time. Ask Toby or Russ for any equipment. <laughs> you have me figured out, haven't you? Laughing, the steward told her to leave any clothing items she'd like laundered in a pile outside her door, assured Kier that a servant would fetch them all for dinner, and left to attend to her duties. Kier changed into the insightfully supplied trousers and tunic. Freshly scrubbed, brushed, and braided, she lay on the tansy-scented bed to analyze more of Shale Castle's hospitality. The bed was at least as comfortable as those in most inns, but the blankets were thicker and softer, including one made of some kind of fur— Though she was travel-worn and weary, the thrill at being a personal guest to Key and Barthelon and relaxing in a room in Shale Castle of all places overshadowed her need for sleep. If only she could speak to Brendau right now. Is this what he'd hoped for her? And Bianca, Adric, and Tarkin, what would they say if they knew? Kier leaped up, exhilarated and restless. She watched the fighters below gather up their equipment and imagined how green Tarkin would be if he saw her sparring on that field. Or would he? It had been a while since she'd known if he was truly on her side. Kier had to admit that it had been a long time since she had really seen eye to eye with her best friend. It was also the last time their lovemaking had been truly unadulterated. One training session with Brendau a year ago had been particularly heated, and she'd dragged Tarkin to the top of Dax Hill and made love to him under the stars. She recalled allowing him to be on top a few times, just so he could fancy for those brief moments that it hadn't all been her idea. And afterward, as they lay in the tall grass, hands clasped loosely, she told him she planned to leave. He'd been less than encouraging. His exact words were, "'You're whacked.' "'I have too many questions I won't find answers to if I stay here.' She'd fingered the chain of her medallion and stared up into the infinity of stars." "'What are you talking about?' he said in a low voice. She rolled onto her side and ran her hand absently along his tanned, muscular torso. "'I mean, I had to have come from somewhere, right? And I just can't think that I've studied—' She just stopped herself from saying dark elvish. "'Elvish, and, and the Wepnian and all, if only to stay in breath.' She felt his muscles tighten beneath her palm. "'I learned the Wepnian, too.' She pulled her hand away. Don't be obtuse. He sat up, brushing her off, and put his tunic back on, though she could tell he wasn't cold. Some of us just want to be ready and do our part to defend the village if Lord Dregor comes this far. Kier sat up and faced him squarely. You don't get it, do you? She stood up and joined him in tugging breeches on. I don't know where I came from. I'm not ditching Wrath. I simply don't belong here. He showed her his back and tucked in his tunic. You're too good for us, I suppose. You bastard! She felt hot in spite of the evening breeze that brushed the hilltop. He finally turned around and looked into her dark eyes with his bright ones. Hrath is going to need you, Kier. Lord Kian doesn't even pay attention to Hrath. Why would Dregor? She replied. The practice field was empty now. Kier moved away from the window and pulled the lightweight burgundy waistcoat over her deep green linen tunic, lacing it loosely up the front. She recognized that what Tarkin really meant was, I need you. With the door shut behind him, Derry could relax into the comfort he always felt when he was in his room. He didn't know if anyone else ever slept here, but it was his room whenever he visited Shale, with or without Valraker. He opened the window and took a deep breath to cleanse his irritation. 
Frustration always crept up on him when he came across Frederick Hayland. He could tell Kier admired the older man, and even that she had noticed his own aloofness. Explaining to her, however, would be gossip. Let it not be said that Derry Morant was no better than a rumor-monger. Kier was an adult, and more than capable of forming her own opinions about people. He poured fresh water from the jug on the washstand into the basin. He took off his tunic and, with a wet cloth, scrubbed the dust off his face and out of the week's growth of beard a little more roughly than it called for. An extra-large splash sent cold water running down his chest. He went rigid as he gasped. Scowling, he shook out the cloth and started again. What was with Kier, anyhow? My horse, actually, indeed. Derry nearly leapt to his feet— and to ask for more than one beverage, absolutely unprecedented. He scratched his whiskers and contemplated growing a beard. Perhaps it would give him an air of distinction. He hung the cloth on the washstand and picked up his Barthelon tunic and pulled it over his head. As he tied the laces at the neck, Derry reminded himself that she had grown up in a small village, which had to account for much of her rural demeanour. If Kean could so graciously accept her, well, so could Derry. He decided, though, to speak to Val about giving her some training in diplomacy before she learned it the hard way. She would probably appreciate it. Derry slipped his arm through his vest sleeve and stopped. Had Kier been equally familiar with Valraker in her first meeting with him? He wondered how his lord would have reacted in that situation. Valraker had seen a good many people fight duels, but did not ask them all to join him. So what else about Kier had grasped his attention? The knock on his door startled him, and when he saw Kier standing outside, he flushed guiltily as if she had somehow read his thoughts. The dark brown trousers and jade tunic she wore flattered her shape and kindled an emerald glow in her eyes. "'This may sound like a silly question,' she said in a low voice, "'but do we carry weapons into the banquet?' "'If you have a dress sword, you are welcome to carry it, or a dagger, perhaps, but that is all,' he answered, pleased to offer his assistance with her education.' She nodded her thanks. "'Oh, while you're here,' Derry turned to the tidy pile of belongings on his bed, "'Valraker asked me to give you this.' He handed her Simon's chest. "'Thanks. Say, I had a look out at the practice field.' She gave him one of those half-grins that unnerved him more than he cared to admit. "'What do you think? Shall I nail you to the ground in the morning?' He took a deep breath. "'I accept the challenge,' he bowed. Although we'll have to just wait and see who does the nailing. And that's it for Chapter 5. So, this week, you met a few new people who will hold prominent positions in Kier's world. And next week, Kier forms opinions about them. <laughs> and if we know anything about Kier, it's that she doesn't tend to have namby-pamby opinions about people, usually with good reason. <laughs> Until then... Stay safe, take care of each other, be kind, and thanks so much for listening. Thanks to the family, Matt, David, Heather, and Maggie. As ever, David and Sharon, the original six, and to you. As Oscar Wilde says, be yourself, everyone else is already taken. And now, go be fantastic.